listeners, and welcome back. This is the third and final episode of the first season of A Long Road Home. In this podcast, we tell the real-world stories of the people behind the apps that you and I use every day. If you've listened to our first two episodes, you know that we've been talking to Chol Charles Ryu, who defected from North Korea when he was 17 and now works as a Lyft driver in Silicon Valley. In our last episode, Charles told us about his experience as a prisoner of the North Korean government, how he ended up as an indentured slave in a coal mine, and why he was homeless and abandoned at the age of 17. We ended the last episode when Charles saw a stalled train and decided to attempt a second escape from his native North Korea. While most of our story to this point has been centered around Charles's struggles, today we're going to tell you about his miraculous departure from North Korea to the United States. With that said, let's get back to our conversation with Charles. So you were homeless for three months. Mm -hmm. You stole food or whatever you needed (laughs) to survive with your three friends. And one day a train comes up and you just say, I'm getting on the train. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, definitely. Was it impulsive or had you always thought you were just going to leave? Yeah, I always thought I'm going to leave, but I didn't have the braveness to actually do it. And also I didn't have a chance because there is no train at all. And the one faithful day I just looked down and there's a train and the train, which was it's going from Pyongyang to Hesan, which is the capital city to the end of Korea. So it's going to be the border of nearby to China. I saw that and oh my God, this is my chance. I can finally get out of here. And also the time, North Korea is really poor electricity, right? So the power is off like on and off like often. So the train was like stopped middle of the journey. And then the people, it was really hot. So people are get, getting out of the train and they're just like getting together and talking, you know, chilling and just drinking, smoking and talking. So I just hopped in there and I act like I belong there, you know. I was being homeless for three months, but, you know, my clothes is clean because I was the clean homeless kid. <laughs> so I acted like I was belong there. And then like two hours or three hours later, the power came back and people are getting on the train. But all the train entrance, there's um, the security guards checking the tickets or like IDs. And they're just like holding me and, hey, hey, where are you going? Show me your tickets or IDs. I said, oh, you know what? My mom is in the train. You know, she didn't get out. When the power, you know, I think she went to sleep, you know, I'm going to wake her up and I'm going to just, just bring her to you. Is it okay? Let me get in. And he's like, uh, okay, so whatever. He just let me in. I got on the train and I was so excited and I just looking around and I got on the train and train starts leaving and like around the hour later when the train is going like faster and then there was a checkpoint, like security check. So in North Korea, when you leave your town, you have to get a permission from the local government to leave your town. And then the paper document says that he's going to come back in 10 days or 20 days. It's okay to go, free to go. Checking that or either tickets. Or if you don't have that, you will be in big trouble. I don't even have my birth certificates or I don't have anything in my pocket. Only thing I have is just a lighter. <laughs> oh my God, they're having the security check. So they're coming like this way and I went back into the bathroom and I was hiding there, locked the door and just hiding there. And then finally they're checking the bathroom too and they're locking in the bathroom. They're like, oh, 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 oh. I was so afraid. So really good thing about North Korea train is the bathroom is very end of the train. So if I open the train door, I train the windows, the end point and then the bathroom door is not really far. 
So I could just get out of the train and then just hanging from the train windows and I can just like slowly, slowly go up to the, the end point. And then I went in there and I just rode it for like three hours. You rode the outside of the train yeah. for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> because there is no other way they checking a bathroom and every like two hours or three hours, there's going to be every time to the checking, checking, checking. And then if there is a station, I have to get down there and, you know, acting like just like walking around. And if they're leaving again, then I have to run back again, riding the train. Seems dangerous. Well, it's not that fast, though. It's like 40 miles an hour, you know. Uphill, it's going to be like 20 miles an hour. So, you know, I could just like... You're riding out. the back of a train that's going 40 miles per hour and you don't think that's very dangerous? <laughs> I was just a kid, you know. Would you ride on the back of a car that was going 40 miles an hour? Well, so in North Korea... There is not really great transportations, right? So people are riding really big truck and they don't even have a fence. They just have like a little thing. We just all sit there and we are riding like 50 miles per hour. And their road is really bad in North Korea, so they cannot even ride it faster. So I was used to it. So it didn't feel really dangerous to me. Anyways. Seems dangerous to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you enjoy if you do that. <laughs> nope. Nope, definitely <laughs> nope. not. <laughs> So first station of the North Korean Chinese side, they always have like checkups with the guns, right? So I have to get out and I have to went back into the train and I have to find somebody that can say like, I belong here or otherwise they're going to come me and then they're going to deport me to my hometown. So I went back into the train. It was a nighttime. So people are outside and then they're checking the tickets again. I tell them my mom is inside and just let me in. And then I found the military guy. He was on a vacation and he's going home. And so my grandmother lives in Hesan, which is like the border city of China side. You know, my grandmother is almost dying. She needs, she really needs my help. It's an urgent, it's really emergency. So I don't even have money, but I just get on the train because my, my grandmother is sick and she's going to die pretty soon. I have to be there. And the military guy is pretty innocent. He's like, okay, I'll tell them you're my brother. And you can eat my food too, you know. <laughs> so you told him that your grandmother was in China? No, no, in the Hisan the city. Town. Yeah, the border okay. city. In Hisan city. And he shared his food and he so in the security guard they um he's my brother. And then we started to leave, right? So we started to leave and then we got into the very first station of the China part. So which is like a China and North Korea facing together, right? First part. And second part, I got caught because I was sitting on the train train connections. There is a door and I was sitting outside, sitting in uh, the connections because there's no seat. And there is like the military guard is sleeping with like some other people sitting in there. So I didn't have nothing. So I just come outside. So you had a the military guy who got you past the first checkpoint. Yeah, first checkpoint. And then the second checkpoint, they see that you're on the outside of the train. No, it, it wasn't outside of the train. It was still inside. Okay. So I was sitting there and the police officer found me out. Hey, you're the kid from the military guard. Where's your ID? Where's your ticket? And I got caught. He locked me into his room. So in the train, there was a like police officer rooms with a few other kids. There's a few other like homeless kids like trying to go to China too. And luckily, they didn't handcuff me. <laughs> if they handcuff me, I'll never get out. So they say, okay, we are going to drop you off at the next station. So you can, they're going to deport you to my hometown where I belong. So when the train is starting to slow down, so prepare to stop, right? It's going to slow down. I open the window. I just jumped down there. Was the train still moving? Yeah, it was like it was pretty slow. How fast? Like ten miles per hour. Cause if I get caught, then I already have to like record, you know, escaping North Korea again and try a second time. It's gonna be like 
labor camp game. So I really didn't want it to get caught. So I opened the window and I just jumped, jumped down. So I got into second checkpoint, which is uh, the second station. And then I walk like three hours from the checkpoint to the another checkpoint because the station and I can get out of the station in North Korea and then I can walk through the towns, you know, in the road and I can get to another station. And I walked three hours and then asking people, where is the station? Where is the train station? And then they tell me, oh, you know, if you go this way for like hour or two hour, you're going to see the train. And I follow the train, the road, right? You're following the tracks. Yeah, following the tracks. And then what happened? Luckily, I got into other train station and there was no train coming yet. And I was waiting for like another half an hour. And there's a train coming and oh, I'm going to catch that. It's going to go somewhere, right? It's like a stay. I look at it. And it's the same train, the train I got out from. I was like, no way. And then people get out of there and like, what happened? Did you guys, I thought it's like already passed. And it's like, oh no, we were stuck there because there's powers went off, you know. So we were stuck there for like hours, two hours, three hours. Great. And then I got on the train again. But uh, this time I have to go very end of the train when they start leaving because I cannot get in because it's a very, very secure checkpoint. So I got into the very end of the train. So there is a stairs in North Korean train because it's really high, right? So there's a stairs and they have the thing called, they went lift up and lift down for the stairs. And there's a kind of like small room in there. So I just squeeze in there and write out another like, another few, uh, few stations. And if there's a checkpoint, I can just like hop out and I'm like pretending like looking for something. If it start leaving, I get in there again. I don't know. I wrote it like a day and a half. You were riding for one and a half days. Yeah, one and a half days, you know, from the Shincheon where I lived and to the end of the North Korean, which is China border side. I finally got in there and I have few friends because first time when I got to uh, China side, I made a few friends in Hisansi. I went into his house and like tell him, you know what, I want to escape again. He's also helped me escape North Korea the first time. And he's like, okay, if you go this way, it's going to be, you know, they tell me like where to go, but he's not going to be there. So you remembered the person that helped you escape the first time. Yeah, because I lived there for six months in SNC. And yeah, I made a few friends mm -hmm. and I remembered him, but most of them went to jail mm -hmm. and they got executed and most of them died. So uh, I asked my friend, like, I'm going to escape again. So can you help me to just teach me where to cross? Because I don't want to fall into the best water, right? And they say, okay, Charles, if you go this way, it's going to be really... It's not going to be really deep. It's okay. You go this way. And then another tip is the North Korea has a law, the river law that has from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Only during that time, you can go to the river, take a shower or get waters or either, you know, washing their clothes or landing. Any other time after 7 p.m., they're going to get you. So let's say if you're going to the river out of that time, they're going to assuming that you're trying to escape North Korea. And then they're going to cut you and they're going to throw you in the jail. So I have to escape during the time. So I went into the river at 3 p.m. And I was pretending taking a shower and drinking a water. And then without nobody's attention, I just went into like, it's not really tall. It's about the three feet of tall dry grass. And then I have to lay down. I have to hide there for like almost like eight hours, nine hours until it gets dark. So you're hiding outside of the water in the tall grass that's three feet tall. Yes. Okay. No sudden movements. If they get suspicious, they're going to come down and check me out. So just hide there for like eight hours until it gets dark. 
if I move, the grass is gonna moving and they're gonna see like what the heck is going on. It's like three hours staying like this, eight hours like staying like this, and then finally it gets really dark. And I was really hungry too, and I haven't eaten like almost like two days, three days. And the most like I can't wait thing, like I can't really wait, you know, I really wanna go, is the barbecue smell, China side. Oh my god, it smells so good, you know, in China's North Korean side, it's really dark. It's really, really sad, you know, kind of sad, but China side, bright, you know, fireworks going on, barbecue smells, people are laughing. I could hear, you know, people are laughing. And around like 11 or 12, I started crossing the water. Let's take a quick break to recap what we just heard. The main takeaways from this segment are... Charles made an impromptu decision to escape North Korea when a train headed towards the Chinese border broke down in his hometown. While on board, Charles eluded the train security, who were constantly checking for tickets, by hiding in the bathroom or by clinging to the outside of the train window while the train was moving. Despite his efforts to hide, Charles was caught by security and locked into a room with other stowaways. The security forgot to handcuff Charles, and so he was able to jump out of the train window as it was approaching its next stop. After eluding security, Charles followed the train tracks and eventually made it back to the train before it reached the border town. Once Charles reached his end destination, he was given support by the people who helped organize his first escape from North Korea. He was then instructed to hide in the bushes until sunset. After nightfall, Charles attempted his second escape by swimming across the river to China. This recap was brought to you by ProTier. ProTier is a service that provides independent contractors with the ability to quickly and easily form a business. If you're a 1099 contractor, ProTier will create a business license for you that will save you thousands by allowing you to allocate expenses like gas and your cell phone to your business. For $50 a year, you can turn your contract work into a real business. To start a business, visit pro-tier.com. That's P-R-O-T-I-E-R.com. And use promo code BENJSHAP for 50% off your first year of service. Pro-Tier. Okay, let's get back to Charles. Nothing is on my mind, you know. Oh my God, I'm doing this, you know. I was always imagine, you know, like... Have you ever had the feeling like you always imagine, I really want to do it, I really want to do it, but like actually you're doing it and you're like, you're so excited, right? Excited, like your heart is like bounty in your throat, something like that. I imagine a million people are going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> my heart is like bouncing in my throat, like, oh. And then one step, two step closer to the water, you know, like it's more scary, you know, more afraid, you know. If I cross this, there's no turning back. The reason only you're turning back is getting caught from the Chinese police officers and then sentenced to death the labor camp. But still going, there's no turning back. Going deeper and deeper, the water is so fast, right? And I can't even hold on to myself. I can't even really balance, you know. The rock is like really slippery and the water is really fast. So like I was like slipping down and I was like screaming, you know, because I was, I was following the waters and please help the waves, you know. I was like screaming, please, please help, you know, the white there, please help. I shouldn't supposed to do that. And then <laughs> the military guy, he just with the like hand light, really dark, really hand lights, and come on like, hey, who goes there, you bastards? Come back here, I'm gonna count down to three. If you don't come back, I'm gonna shoot you. Three, two, one. I was like, whatever. Cause like at the point, I cannot even turn back. If I turn back, I'm gonna die. Or die here, it doesn't matter. 
just went down to the water really deep. The water just carried me to like somewhere. And like around like two or three minutes, I was under the water and it just got me really faster to the, so this is the river. And if I started here, it got me to like way over here because the water was so fast. So the, when the security guard was threatening to shoot you for trying to escape, you ducked under and let the current take you away. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. So the reason I did that was because I was heard the voice was really young and I felt like he didn't even shoot a gun before. So you know what? Whatever. There's a funny. And I predict, right, he could even shoot. And then I got here and then I was kept swimming, you know. After I got like around here and then I just kept swimming, fighting with the waves. And then I got into China side and my clothes are wet and everything's wet. I just went into corn farm. So after the river, there's a, like corn farms in China side. And then I went in there, dry my clothes and we are it. And then I walk into like really, really dark, like small streets. Cause like the big ways in China side, there's coming all over the street. There's a lights and cameras everywhere. And they're gonna find me out and they're gonna catch me. So I was walking in a, like a small, like, you know, really dark way. And by the time I was really hungry too. I haven't eaten for like days. And then I found the food. So in China, people, they have like a religious thing that they have apples, bananas, and like candies. Have you ever seen that warbyong? It's a Chinese bread. Have you ever had that? No? Never mind. Yeah, there's some biscuits and uh, candies. It's a, like a worship thing, right? Like feeding the gods. I was hungry, you know. I was out of my mind. I'm the god too. And then I take my shirt off and make in a bag and I just spread all of that candy. Like, there wasn't that much, you know, just like one apple, one candy, one bread, like a few candies and a few biscuits. And I think there's a like pork, I guess it's a pork, some kind of meat, you know, like an ear or something. Grab all in and just take it and just walking. I have to get out of the city as soon as possible because sooner or later it's going to be bright. And if it's like bright, I cannot even move because I look like a North Korean, you know, obviously. So I walk and like, I really, I ran, you know, I ran to get out of the city. And then around like four or five hours, like, and I could see like, you know, sun's coming out, you know, it's like the stars are like starting to go on, right? I got out of the city. I already walked in a jungle and I feel safe. And then I took a nap around like a few hours and I didn't want it to walk, you know, during the daytime because there's going to be police officers, you know, sometimes they just pass by, go by, you know, and I didn't want it to be noticed by civilians too because they're going to report me so i slept during the daytime i try to sleep and at the nighttime i try to walk but i couldn't do that i couldn't sleep and i kept walking during the daytime too walking 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 and only thing i see i feel like if i cross this mountain there's gonna be a hometown or there's gonna be a some of them you know some like let's say like a gas station you know i can beg for food or either i can just dig up a trash can but if I go deeper and deeper, there's no sign of human beings. There's no sign of like residence area. It was hopeless, you know, like keep going and going. It's going to be like more and more, more and more deeper. And I haven't eaten and I was really hungry and my feet are splitting too because North Korean shoes is like quality less. There's no quality at all. So my shoes are all like bottom part is gone. You know, I was walking, basically walking with my feet three days thinking about like on a highway that like the rough road and walking three days my feet was bleeding you know what i can do it and i just sat down and i cried why did i left north korea you know well if i was working in a coal mine for another maybe three months or six months until i die you know i could have eaten you know like well or 
at least I have a friend, you know, I can talk to and like share a sadness together. But like, it's all me. If I get caught, I'll throw through throw in the jail by myself and I'm going to die in there. All the regrets that are coming up and I was crying, you know, <laughs> sitting down there crying. And at one point, I prayed to God. So how I knew God is when I escaped first time in 2008 to China, the pastor came to our house, my father's house, and then he showed us how to pray and he showed us how to believe, right? <laughs> you know, I still believe that the reason I didn't die at the labor camp in North Korea, even though I didn't have any family to bring food to me, is being faithful to God, right? Because sometimes I think about the, those times, like why did I have to go through all that, you know? And sometimes it's not really right, but sometimes I compare my life and others children's life in here right and i'm thinking that wow this kind of kid they are grew like in a perfect situations but i grew like in this situation why me i'm thinking that all right there's gotta be a reason there's gotta be some and then he got me here right he got me here and there's gonna be a reason anyways and then i pray to god please if you're there this is your time please i don't really want to end my life like this here please save me please save me i cried really hard too and then like 20 minutes later, I was still crying, you know, on the road, like crying and like few like cars are going off and on and off, but they didn't even care, you know, <laughs> they thought like some kind of dead kids just laying down and even the police officer didn't even care. Eh, he's going to die somewhere because, you know, if I die here or either Kapek North Korea, it's the same death, right? And then, miraculously, there's a Chinese guy riding a motorcycle from the city that I escaped which is the North Korean side, and then there's a China side, right? So I escaped that city, and this guy came from that city, you know? <laughs> and then got to, like, somewhere else. I don't know where he's going, but he's, like, driving a motorcycle, and then he just passed me by, and then <laughs> he stopped and, like, gave me back, and he came back to me. I spoke a little bit of Chinese that time, because I was in China for nine months in 2008, so I spoke a little bit. I didn't even go to school, but, you know, like, I have to speak something, you know, if I don't want to get caught. He's like asking me, where are you from? Are you from North Korea? So I said, yeah, I'm from North Korea. So where are you going? He's like, I'm looking for my father. He's in China, you know. I didn't even think of that, you know, but somehow I got like, I'm looking for my father. The one really big reason I escaped North Korea was like, okay, I want to go to China side and I want to eat something really fully. I don't want to die with an empty stomach. I want to die something in my stomach, right? And that was the only hope, you know, if I live my life in China and even a homeless, it is happy enough for me, you know? I, I have nothing to lose, right? But like somehow I say like, I have my father in China, I'm looking for him. And he's like thinking, you know, smoking, and he's gave me a water and a piece of bread. There you go, eat this. Oh my God, it was a lifesaver. I finished the water and bread and he's like, let's go. And he carried me and he took me to his house. So <laughs> I walked three days, right? And then with the motorcycle, I rode it 12 hours to get his house. Like, so let's say with the motorcycle, 80 miles per hour, it's gotta be another week if I walked, right? Thousand miles. Thousand miles. Is it? Well, if it's 80 miles an hour for 10 hours, that's 800. So if you go for 12, it's yeah. 960 miles. Yeah. So anyways, it's gotta be like a week or a month to walk, right? So when I arrived at his house... He had a son my age and he had a wife. And then I could hear their arguing, you know. The wife saying like, raw, 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 
why did you bring this kid to my house? You know, you bring a trouble to my family and my house, you know? And he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's all right, you know, we have some... I didn't even know, but I was just guessing, like, what they're saying, you know? Blah, 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 you know, we could have this kid. And then he came out with, like, a big bowl of Chinese rice. And I think it's a chofan. If you're a panda expert, there's a chofan half and half, right? Chofan. They bring, like, big, big <laughs> bowl of, like... <laughs> <laughs> brought you a big bowl of panda express. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kung Pao chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he brings like big ball of the rice and the soup. Here we go, kid. I can't even like express my feeling like how I felt like that time, right? <laughs> and then he gave me a medicine for my feet. And then he gave me also like clothing. And he let me sleep. I slept in his room and he slept at a outside like living room. The next morning, he's calling somewhere. And I thought like, okay, he's calling the cops. It's gotta be a cops. Who's gonna be out of mind to help like kids like me, right? But thank God he called the South Korean pastor. And then he exchanged the South Korean pastor like he's saying, Okay, are you from North Korea? Are you hurt? Are you are you okay? It's like really worried, right? So I said, No, I'm okay. He saved my life, you know. I really wanna thank him and I really wanna return to help. And he's like, Oh, okay, you have a father? I heard you have a father in China. And how's that? And I explained very shortly. And then Okay, if I give you money and if I give you a bus ticket, can you find your father? I said, yeah, sure. Because I lived in uh, China for nine months in 2008 and I know where my father's house is. So I, I said, like, yeah, it's, he's living in Hunchunxi. Then it's not very far from here. Like three hours on a bus. Then it was my father's house. Oh my God, thank God. And then the South Korean pastor gave me 100 yen in Chinese money and then buy me a bus ticket. I got on a bus... And the Chinese person that saved me from the highway, he tells something to the bus driver and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm guessing that he's from North Korea and he has to go to your father. So can you please help this kid? And the bus driver looked at me like this, ah, blah, blah, blah. And then they dropped me. So like a taxi, you know, after at the station, the people are all dropped it off. And then he's like saying like, stay, stay. So where's your father's house live? So I, I tell him the address. My father lived in an apartment. I walk down, talk, 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 look at my father's door. He's like, oh, how'd you get here? How the, you know, he's like saying backwards, like, how the fuck did you get here? You know, I was like so surprised, you know, like I was like 17. There's no way. He was shocked. Yeah, he was really shocked. And then the second thing he thought is he thought I was a criminal. He thought I was killed somebody and I escaped North Korea. I was a kid. I used to work in a coal mine. I just didn't want it to end my life in a coal mine is meaningless death and then my father hit me with a belt tell me the truth tell me the truth you motherfucker tell me the truth i said please i didn't want to starve to death you know i didn't even want it to come to you but only thing i come up with is you you know you're my father you said you're my father you said you're gonna respond for me but you didn't at the first place you let me get caught in china and send me back to north korea and i went through all that and then he stopped and then second, uh, like around the, like two months or three months, my brothers in North Korea that I used to live with, he came from North Korea to my father's house. And then there is a proof. There we go. Brother came and like told my father, he used to work in a coal mine, but he escaped from the coal mine. And <laughs> since then, the coal mine, the owner came to my brother's house looking for me and tell them, your brother still arise from us so we want you to give us the 30 kilograms of rice and he's all telling all that and i was okay let's take a quick break to recap what we just heard 
After hiding from border security until nightfall, Charles successfully rode the tide across the river to the Chinese border. Once he escaped, Charles hid in a cornfield until the next night when he decided that being seen in the border town was too dangerous. Charles hid during the day and tried to cover as much ground as he could at night and fed himself by stealing food from religious shrines. Charles walked with broken down shoes for over three days until he felt like he could not go on any further. Feeling hopeless and alone, Charles broke down and prayed for help. And miraculously, 20 minutes after stopping, a Chinese man on a motorcycle stopped and took Charles to his house where he fed him, clothed him, and took care of him. That same man connected Charles with a South Korean pastor who gave him money and helped him get transportation to his father's town in China. Shocked to see his son had escaped from North Korea, Charles's father accused Charles of being a criminal and beat him. Eventually, Charles's brother confirmed that Charles had in fact lived in North Korea and worked in a coal mine, which led to Charles's father finally believing Charles's story of his escape. This recap was brought to you by my company, Ben J. Shap, LLC. In addition to being your podcast host, I'm also the managing director of a network of boutique marketing consultants that help companies identify, reach, and monetize their most profitable customers. If you're looking to efficiently scale your business without hiring additional headcount, visit benjshap.com or contact us at mail at benjshap.com. Let's get back to Charles. So I have two sisters and two brothers, which is all from my father's side. Now it's Different mother and the same father, right? And one sister is in China and one sister in South Korea. And two brothers in North Korea still. And the one sister, the youngest sister in South Korea, she had a baby. And she couldn't afford the babysitter, but she cannot work with the child. So what she wanted to do is bring her mother, which is my father's first wife, to South Korea. So she can babysit her and she can also work to provide babies. And then, thank God, so I arrived in August. So they plan to bring the mother in South Korea in September. So you arrived to China in August. Yep. And your father doesn't believe that you should be there, but your brother shows up and tells him that your story is true. Yeah. And then a month later, your father's first wife is already scheduled to go to South Korea. Yeah, they have been playing that for a long time. Now, she's a Chinese citizen. No, she's not a Korean citizen. Okay. So she, she's not allowed to go to South Korea. So she's not Korean and she's trying to escape North Korea and like me, trying to go to South Korea. And they have been playing there for a long time, even before I knew that, right? And then, thank God, if I escaped a month later than her or me, I wouldn't be here. But somehow, everything worked out. And then I got a month before she gets there. And then my father was shocked and blah, blah, blah. And then my father told me. So, you know, my mom, so I called her my aunt because I never met her in my life, but I can't call him mom. So I called her aunt. I never seen her in my life. But anyways, he told me, okay, your aunt's going to be here and she's trying to go to South Korea. So when she goes to South Korea, I will let you go with her. If you stay in China, Someday or somehow, I'll get caught and I'll send back North Korea and I will get executed or either working in a labor camp for like four years and then just death there. I said, yeah, please, let's do that. And we scheduled to go to South Korea in October. You got there in August, you're scheduled yep. to leave in October. Yep, in 2011. 
But what happened was in 2011 October, Kim Jong Il died. Okay. What the hell? Why did he die like that time? And then the security got twice much more secure. So even the North Korean government's coming to China and looking for the escapers and bring them back to North Korea. So hang on, Kim Jong Il dies. The same month you're supposed to escape mm-hmm. to China. So the North Korean government is very sensitive mm-hmm. to people trying to escape. Yes. And they bolster the security to the borders. Yes. But you're trying to go to South Korea from China. Yeah. I don't know the geography all that well. You don't have to go through North Korea. Can't you just go through China to South Korea? So we don't have to cross the North Korea again. Mm-hmm. But when I was in China, it was like really close to the border. Mm-hmm. So North Korean government coming to the China and looking for us, looking right. for the escapers and bring them back to North Korea. So it is really golden spot. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but there is a uh, three countries we escape. I can't even say this because it's a golden spot. And if like somehow North Korean governments find out, then yeah, don't get anybody in trouble. So you're in this space where it's easy to get to the three countries mm-hmm. where you can make your way to South Korea. Yeah. So it took me 20 days long journey because it was really dangerous and it was really hard. So tell me about the journey. So we had to take the bus for a week and <laughs> it was February, 2012, February. And then we took the bus, right? We had we were on a bus for a week with uh, other, other North Korean persons. And we met a broker and broker got into us uh, groups and then we're moving as a group, right? And then we're on a bus for a week. So the brokers know who we are, right? But we don't know who's the brokers. So we are in the same bus with the broker, but we don't know who they are. Because if we get into trouble and like, hey, who got you there? You know, if we tell the broker, he's going to be in trouble. So we don't know who they are, but they know who we are. And then every time bus are stopping, my hearts are beating in my throat again. What if like the military comes up and like show me your ID? I don't have ID. Or maybe I have a fake ID, but I don't know. Anyways, we took the bus and we had so many stops, you know, and then my heart was like beating in my throat, but somehow we got passed through a week. And then we took a minivan again to like 12 hours trip to China to Laos. In Laos, we took a motorcycle to cross Laos to Thailand, which is between the border. And we took the minivan. Then we walk, we have to cross the mountain, which is at like 15 minutes hiking. And this triangle is the most drug populated, the golden spot for like drug dealers. That's what I heard. And then I finally got into the Thailand refugee camp. So you take this route from the bus trip to the minivan and then a motorcycle. And then at the last to the Thailand border, there's a river called Mekong River. So we had to take the boat, which is like a really big tree, right? Really, really big tree. They cut it in half and just take out the inside parts and they had to have one engine, you know? If we lose the balance, then we are going to flip. We're going to all die. So seven or six people sitting, one guy at the front and then all of us in the middle and the one guy at the back. You know? So you're going through the Mekong River in a hollowed out tree with one engine. Yeah, one engine. Okay. And there's an alligator, you know? It was February. If it was August, it's raining season, right? There's going to be a lot of alligators and there's going to be like more waters, but we are lucky. And then the one guy, you know, we're trying so hard to make the balance, right? Like if I just move this side, the boat's going to be like flip this side. This side. I was so scared. Anyways, and then we got into Thailand side and then the brokers, when we got to Laos, the broker finally showed to us like, so this is what we're going to do. 
as soon as we get to Thailand side, just go to the police station and just tell them we are from North Korea. I want to go to South Korea. And they're going to take us the process. And they're, what they do basically is how they send us North Korea is we are North Korean, right? And in Thailand, they still think that North Korea and South Korea are the same part. So we get to the Thailand land. If we're landing without any permissions, they're going to deport us back to South Korea. That's how we go. Because they think the North Korea and South Korea is the same. So they're deporting us to South Korea. And then I was in the Thailand jail for like uh, roughly like 17 days, you know. I, I went through like sentence. You will never be back to Thailand like four years again, you know. Get out of here. <laughs> or go through the judge. Anyways, we did that. And then I got into, finally, I got into refugee camp in Thailand. And then I applied. Thailand or in South Korea? Thailand, and then I finally applied asylum applications to South Korea embassy. And you know what they say? I got there risking my life. I put my whole life right in there. What they say is, Charles, your father is Chinese. Your blood is Chinese blood. So we cannot accept you. But only thing we can do is send you back to China. So you can live your life as Chinese person. What? I'm telling you like what I told him. That doesn't make any sense. I was, even my father was Chinese. The Chinese government deported me back to North Korea and I went through all of that. It's like a CIA, a South Korean government. You can't send the Asian to China. I'll tell you specific uh, prison and I have a fingerprint in there. I have my pictures in there. You can see that. You can file it and just, you know, you can search it. Just see it. They say like, we really want to help you, but we cannot help you. And this one, I knew it later, why they didn't want to accept me. Here's the reason. So in 2009, when I get caught, there was uh, three of the other girls, two girls and my father's third wife. So they went to South Korea before me. So my sister, they have a Chinese passport and they're Chinese citizen, but they went into South Korea as North Koreans. They hide their identifications and then they fake their identification and then went into South Korea. And they get caught because the three siblings, they went into South Korea. They tell, told them, maybe these guys are going to come, you know, just make sure these guys don't come, you know. They are Chinese and they are going to be like doing something, blah, blah, blah. And then my sister got caught from that and then deported back to China. So your sisters, your stepsisters, escaped from China to South Korea. But they're Chinese. But they're half Chinese. They have Chinese passports. Chinese passports. I don't. So they get caught being Chinese in South Korea. Yeah. And South Korea says what? Chinese people are not allowed as a refugee because it is also a rich country, right? Right. Right. Like Africa or either like Syria or North Korea accept as a refugee, but Chinese are rich. So they don't accept uh, refugees. Okay. So they can't be refugees in South mm-hmm. Korea because mm-hmm. they come from a country that should be able to support them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're saying, well, if your sisters are Chinese, you're Chinese, but you come from a different mother. Or it's a different mother. And my father abandoned me long time ago. That's why my mother starved to death. And that's why I don't even have a passport or something like that. Got it. And then I can't even accept that, you know? I'm North Korean. I went to North Korean school. I have a North Korean citizenship and I get caught and I get punishment as a throwing a jail. And they're like, okay, so your sister tried to come to South Korea as a North Korean, but your sister is Chinese. They have the passport, so we cannot accept you anymore. Get out of here. <laughs> and then I got sent back to 
the、uh, international refugee camp. So there is a different camp for the like North Koreans and、uh, another country people, but I send up to the international refugee camp. You go to the North Korean refugee camp, and they say we can't help you. And so then you go to the general population camp. Yeah. Okay. So so which is the North Korean refugee camp is which is South Korea helped them right. So the North Korean refugee camp is under the South Korean embassy. But South Korean embassy says you are not, you don't belong here. You are not North Korean even though I have North Korean citizenship. And they threw me up to the general refugee camp. And then I got there, and then there's a few people that has same like situation as me, right? They're Chinese, you know. They wanted they tried to go to South Korea, but they didn't accept me. So they staying there for like two years. Some people, some others staying like four or five years already. And they listened to my situation, and they told me like, "Hey Charles, why don't you apply for UN? They might help you, you know." What do you mean apply for UN? So I file asylum. I file asylum to UN because my situation. If I go back to China, I'll get caught and thrown to North Korea. I'm gonna die, right? And they're like, "Yeah, Charles, go ahead, do that. It's gonna be your only chance to live." So instead of filing for asylum with South, South Korea, because they don't accept me, right? You file for general asylum with the United Nations.、Mm-hmm. Okay. And then because I have the obvious, obvious reasons, you know, I'm not Korean. But father is Chinese, but he abandoned me long time ago, and I have North Korean citizenship. I have North Korean everything, but because of my sisters did that, right? South <laughs> their, Korea, rejected. yeah, fake, fake their identification and went into South Korea, kicked out. So that's the only reason I cannot get in. I told you and everything, you know what happened. Everything. This is what happened, like all my life. And they're like, okay, you're in. So talk me through that process. You sit down with someone at the UN. I'm assuming it's an embassy. Yeah, embassy.、Uh, so she was a Korean that worked for the UN. And you tell her your whole story. I told her like specific, like exact times and everything else. And so she believes you and says, "Okay, we'd like to help you." Well, she didn't say that. She's like, "Okay, I'm just a translator, and then you are gonna wait for the interviews." They didn't say like, "Okay, you're gonna in or out," like nothing. Just wait for the interview and. Most people in the prison, the refugee camp, they're gonna wait for like at least like three years or one year, one year, two year, three years to get the interview. But I got the interview in a month. So why did you get the interview so quickly? The only the reason I can think of is because I was a minor, and I think it's different. You're still under eighteen. Under eighteen, yes. That was like seventeen and a half.、Mm-hmm. And then I got the interview, and they're like, "What, Charles? You got an interview?" They were so jealous, you know, because they're waiting there for like so long. So the other people that you're talking to are looking for asylum as well, and you're in a refugee camp. Is that a good place to be? Is or is it like a prison? Like, what's life like in a refugee camp? So it depends on the persons. So let's say American people go to Thailand and do something wrong, and they get there, right? They say it's a prison, life like a hell, right? But for me, I've been through worse. They feed us with、uh, like chicken and egg and white rice every day, every meal. You know, I gained a lot of weight there, and I was happy. So for me, it was like a heaven because they don't even let us work. You know, they don't even like wake me up. So for me, life was、uh, in refugee camp. It was great. You got to rest and you got、yeah. to eat. Yeah, I get to eat. Like I don't even worry. Only thing I worry about is like what I'm gonna do if I go to China. I can't go to China. That was the only thing that like wake me up like middle of the night. Oh my god, what are I gonna do? But you went just came out and Charles, we got the interview. 
Because my story is like really clear, you know? Because like if we go there, you know, my father is Chinese, but you know, he abandoned me like a long time ago and my mom is dead. And I attempt first escape in North Korea and I got caught and I sent back North Korea. And then I- You have documentation of China deporting you mm-hmm. to North Korea, which yes. proves that you're not Chinese. Yeah, yeah. So I have fingerprints, like pictures and everything else, So which is clear. But like some people waiting there so long because they don't have like the proofs, right? So essentially, you getting deported the first time saved your life. It is. Thank you. So I think that was the reason. So that was so clear. And then in a second week, so after a month, which is month and second week, I got a second interview and third interview. And then arriving two months, I got to check out my body in a hospital. <laughs> Nobody can do that that fast. Like in a two months, no way. But you can come out and like, you're going to check out, you know, if you go to the United States, you got to be healthy. You can't have any disease. They went to hospital, I got shots, and I got everything else. And then I think two months and a half, I got the tickets. So did you get to choose the United States or did the UN just say, we're going to send you to the United States? Well, there was a Japan too. There was a few options. So there's a England, there's a Japan. I think those are like three countries, but they say like they don't accept refugees anymore. And the option was only United States. Okay, so it was basically your only option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was my only option. And what do they tell you when you're in a refugee camp? You say they hand you the tickets, but do you know who you're staying with or what you're doing? Oh, yeah. So my parents, remember the foster parents I mentioned earlier? They're working with the Catholic Charities, which is the Catholic organization, the Catholic, which is called Catholic Charities. They are rescuing the fosters, so youth, right? The kids. And then they sign the paperwork everything at the Catholic churches and then they send the paper to my parents' house and then they says, okay, we're going to accept this child. We are going to have responsible this kid until he turns 18. Did you have to have any sense of religion to be accepted by the Catholic charities? Well, I was already a Christian. Okay. No, no, you don't have to have any, but it's just that organization named as a Catholic church. But just an organization that helps like the people. So it wasn't because you were a Christian that a Christian family was willing to adopt you. They adopt anyone that comes out of North Korea, or, irrespective of their religion. Yeah, so uh, the family that I got accepted was they're already helping other people. You know, they already adopted like four or five kids already. So when I got there, there was like five other kids in there too. So your family has adopted five foster children that are refugees. Yes, that's correct. They all live in the same house? All living in the same so house. So they're like your refugee brothers, brothers and sisters. Yeah. So I have a I have a friend in San Francisco that I saw like a, I live with him like for like three months, like six months. Yep. And then since they said, okay, I'm going to accept this kid as my foster child. I'm going to take care of him until he turns 18. And then they signed the papers. And then since they signed the paper, I got the tickets. If they don't sign it, then I don't know like when I'm going to be come to the United States, but they said they signed it. So thank God. <laughs> yeah. There was somebody that was willing to accept mm-hmm. responsibility for yeah. you since you were a minor. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got me the tickets. Let's take one last break to recap what Charles just said. After Charles and his father made amends, Charles was informed of his family's plan to sneak Charles's mother-in-law, who was also a North Korean citizen, into South Korea. During the month Charles and his mother-in-law had planned to leave China, North Korean's leader, Kim Jong-il, died and security was bolstered throughout the region. 
Despite the tightened security, Charles and his mother-in-law took a 20-day journey shepherded by an unidentified broker from China through Laos into a refugee camp in Thailand. In Thailand, North and South Korea are recognized as one nation, which allows North Korean refugees to be asked to be deported to South Korea. When Charles attempted to seek asylum to South Korea, he was denied because he was considered to be a Chinese citizen because of his father's current residence. Charles was then sent to another refugee camp where he was instructed to seek asylum through the United Nations. As he was still a minor, Charles's case was expedited, which allowed him to get an asylum interview within months. As context, this process usually takes between two to three years. After a multiple interview process, Charles' request for asylum was improved, in part because his first failed escape attempt provided the documentation he needed to prove that he was not a Chinese citizen. Within less than three months after his arrival to Thailand, Charles was granted a green card and was allowed to move to the United States where he was taken in by a family in Northern California. This recap was brought to you by Rinse. Rinse is a dry cleaning and laundry delivery service based in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and now Washington, D.C. They provide quality cleaning, convenient pickup and delivery, and simple scheduling. Their service is amazing. I can vouch for them personally. I've been a customer for a long time. If you'd like to get rid of your most time-consuming household chore, Rinse is a great service. For $25 off your first order, visit rinse.com slash bin. Rinse, clean clothes you deserve and convenience you demand. So what was it like coming to the United States for the first time? You landed at SFO, right? No, I landed in a, a San Jose airport. Okay, so that's less less dramatic. Less dramatic insurance. <laughs> you know, so I couldn't sleep at the airport. So it took me, as a date, it's like two days. So leaving Thailand to South Korea took me like 14 or 15 hours, something like that. I don't remember, but I couldn't sleep one single hour. I just always like, oh my God, I think I'm dreaming. And then... I got to South Korea side and then, oh my God, I'm dreaming. And I have to wait 10 hours for transporting the airport. Okay. So you were in Thailand at the South Korean embassy and you fly from Thailand to South Korea, South Korea to the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I forgot to mention something. The South Korean embassy, the agent came out the very last day. They moved me up to the international refugee camp. He said to me, we like to help you, but we cannot change the law. As a person, I think you as my brother, but I can't help you because we cannot change the law. Because your father is, since your father is Chinese, I cannot accept you. But South Korea isn't the only country that accepts refugee. He said it to me like this. And then if you think this is like the biggest wall in your life that you have to climb, and if you climb this wall, you're going to be fine. He told me like that. I didn't know what does that mean, right? But... And then he got me into the international refugee camp. And then from there, somebody told me, you ain't there. Anyways, yep. If I come to Thailand directly to the SFO, I think it's, it was going to be expensive, right? It's really expensive. So if I go to Thailand, to South Korea, and South Korea to LA, LAX, and the LAX to SFO like that. And you've never been on an airplane. I've never been on an airplane. And you don't speak any English. I don't speak any English. <laughs> and no one's there with you. No, but I still kept the sign because that was like the first moment that I am a truly a person. Because when I was in North Korea, I got treated as like an animal or like a bug. But from that moment that I got the sign, it's like, 
I need help with like a UN sign on it and an adult and a kid holding hand, you know. <laughs> that moment was like truly I got accepted as a human so, being. So right? people helped you get through the airport. Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, people have been lost for long times in LAX. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then as long as I arrived, there's a, always an agent that came out like, okay, are you the Charles? Are you the Charles Ryu? Let's go. Holding my hand and then going to another airport and they helped me out. And through the entire journey, I couldn't sleep at all on an airplane or either in an airport because I, I thought I was dreaming, right? I can't sleep on airplanes either. No, I mean, I was too excited. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I got into Catholic Church, which is the organization that have North Korean refugees, they have like 100 and 200 refugees in their, in their organizations. They help Africa, Mexico, Syria, North Koreans, a lot of them. Then as soon as I got there, I don't even understand, right? English, they are saying English. Oh, Charles, welcome, welcome. But at the time I couldn't speak English. So I don't know what does that mean. I was like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they send me to um, the foster parents' house. Charles, this is your room. And show me my room. And okay, this is where you're going to live. Oh my God. Were you scared? I was truly scared. What if someday I got caught again? What if I get sent back to North Korea? What if the police see me and then, okay, you're from North Korea, let's go, you know? <laughs> so first, uh, like two weeks or three weeks, I cannot even go out because I was too afraid to go out. But I had a social worker and she coming to my house with a book and with a translator. And, you know, I used to communicate with them with a Google Translate because I don't even speak English, right? So Google Translate, oh, how are you? Have you eaten yet? And then it's translating. Yeah. And then I went to high school because... I never had a chance to graduate high school in North Korea because uh, my mom. So during the time when I was nine to eleven, my mom was in the hospital, so I always nursed her, you know. And then my mom passed away, and then I couldn't go to school. So I really wanted to start from the bottom, so I can have the education that I need to be able to be successful. So even though I was seventeen and ten months older, I got into high school as a freshman in Concord High School. I skipped the junior year and I studied hard and I got my diploma. So you graduated high school in three years? Yes. Okay. And when you were done with high school, then what did you do? After I was done with the high school, I tried to serve military. And then I don't have the country code because I'm the only one. I'm the first one joining the military who is not Korean. There's a lot of South Koreans applying the military. But I'm the first one in North Korea, so I don't have a country code. I was keep failing, 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 you know? And then last time I got accepted, okay, we have a country code for you now because we manually put me in a mural. So you're the first person to ever apply to be part of the United States military from North Korea. North Korea. Yes. <laughs> that was the truly history changing, isn't it? Like, yeah, your moment in history. Yeah. But I felt like the asthma test. Uh-huh. Coal mine. Coal mine. You have asthma because you were in the coal mine. <laughs> no, no, no. Asthma test. It's like a nine subject test. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said you had asthma, a breathing problem. Oh, no. I don't have any problem with that. My <laughs> health, I'm, I'm healthy, you know. I'm ready okay. to go. But okay. only thing is my brain, you know. Well. Your brain is just fine. <laughs> only thing is like I failed the test. So I'm going to retake it. After high school, I did that, and I failed. And then after that, I got scholarship at the Coding Dojo through Livery North Korea. What's the organization called? Livery? 
Liberty in North Korea. Liberty in North Korea. Yes. Okay. So it, so as a short link, and then they gave me a scholarship at the coding dojo because I really wanted to learn computer and I really wanted to help North Koreans to learn computers too. So every time new refugee come, they don't even know what is the internet. They they don't even know what is website. I can help them too. And then I got a scholarship from Coding Dojo, and I graduated Coding Dojo in three months. And I'm working for Lyft right now, and also going to school part time. And now I'm applying for a second job, which is driving instructor at the Santa Clara Driving School. Great. Yes, sir. Yay. <laughs> so tell me, what are you studying now? So I'm majoring software engineering and computer science. But my major goal is to be a professional web security. I have a really big dream. I don't know if if it's possible, you know. I really want to hack North Korean website, North Korea, and then spare every single secret to all of the North Koreans. And someday I'm gonna create a network that everybody can access it in North Korea. And then they go onto online, they see it, the truth. So the biggest lie is uh, Kim Jong Il was born in the mountain, the greatest mountain, which is Baekdusan. What the hell? He was born in Russia. I want everyone to know that, but North Korean people still doesn't know. Like, okay, Kim Jong Il is the god. Okay, he was born in pure mountain in North Korea, and that's why he's a star. And when he born in the mountain, the one big star has been lighted up. What the hell? He was born in Russia. I just want everyone to know, you know. And then someday we can rise up all together as a unit, one unit, and take down the government. Now North Korean people are really scared and afraid of the governments. They have the power, right? North Korean people doesn't have power to change themselves at all. But if they know the truth and if they're united and working as a unit, then they can take out the government. And someday, hopefully, South Korea and North Korea combine together and live like uh, one family again. That's great. I don't know how to thank you enough for sharing the story. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. And one thing I really appreciate about America is United States accept me as who am I and accept me and give me a chance to spread my wing or so give me a chance to live my life, right? Freedom and everything. So I really thank for that. And also, you know, there is a lot of North Korean people. Still risking their life in China, waiting for our help, and I really want to help them to find their freedom and happiness as I found mine. Well, I think that we're equally lucky to have you here, and as much as you feel grateful, you sharing your story reminds me of how fortunate we are, and a lot of things that I personally take for granted that you weren't born into. Hopefully, we can share this story, and it will mean as much to other people as it means to me. So, thank you for telling us the story in in detail. And I think that at the end of the day, when people hear this, and if they want to help your cause and the cause of the North Korean people, what are the ways that you think that they can contribute? How can they help people in North Korea? How can people like me mm-hmm. help people that are going through what you went through? So. A lot of North Koreans in China, they're still struggling, waiting the brokers. And if we gave them a shelter, either food or clothing, and either a spare a penny or cent, they can have their shelter and food. 
and the bus tickets. They can buy the bus tickets and come to the Freedom. Was there a service that helps do that? Yes. So the livery in North Korea, they got to China and they rescue North Koreans. Okay. Liberty in North Korea. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I'll make sure that we add some of their contact information at the end of this, and hopefully anybody that listens to this podcast all the way through will know that they exist, and we'll put their website. I'm guessing it's libertyinnorthkorea.org. So outside of libertyinnorthkorea.org, you know, one of the things that I feel strongly about is being able to help you continue your education so you can help the people in North Korea. You mentioned that you're you're going to school. Where are you going to in school? In Deanza College. Deanza College. Community College, yes, okay. it is. Hoping that in one and a half years, I'll be able to transfer to Berkeley. I'm really hoping to transfer to Berkeley. Great. Okay. What I'd like to do is we'll set up a, a GoFundMe page. So anybody that would like to help you get through your schooling can make a contribution. And one of the things that you've mentioned to me before is that some of the contributions that you receive, you'd also like to give to some of the organizations that have helped you. What are the other organizations that you think are important to highlight? Who's helped you along the way? So the main organization that helped me was Catholic Charities of Santa Clara County. And that's the main organization that I want to highlight. And secondly, it is an organization called Liberty in North Korea, which is the organization that specifically helped North Koreans who are in great danger in China. Okay, well that just about wraps up the first season of A Long Road Home. Before we say goodbye for now, I have a few favors to ask of you, our listeners. If you're feeling inspired by Charles's story and have the means, we've set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for Charles's education. This can be found at gofundme.com slash alongroadhome-charles. The first $5,000 of the GoFundMe campaign will go directly to Charles's schooling, and any additional funds that we collect will be donated to the Liberty and North Korea charity. If you're not in a place to give, we understand and we would still love your help sharing Charles's story. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes and share the podcast on Facebook. Lastly, there are a few people that I'd personally like to thank who helped create and promote this podcast. Thank you specifically to our PR guru, Ariane Talma, our editor, Panos Stupis, our friends at Lyft Inc., Mahir Gandhi and Gwen Bellamy, Joel Langardio of the San Francisco Examiner, Susan Santiago of KWMR, and most of all, a heartfelt thank you to my wife, Katie Shapiro, who didn't throw me out of the house when I told her that I was starting a podcast about North Korea when she was eight months pregnant. So that pretty much wraps it up for this season of A Long Road Home. But don't worry, we'll be back next season to tell another story of survival from the road. Until then, thank you for listening, safe travels, and take care of each other. Mm-hmm.